Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We were watching this from this little island in the Caribbean thinking, hold on a second. What people do with all that toilet paper? <laughs> what do they want with all that toilet paper? It's a really good question. They just go to the washroom and they wash themselves. They don't need, even need toilet paper. Either I buy rice or toilet paper. I buy rice! Hello and welcome to The World As It Should Be, a podcast in which we ask our guests to tell us what they would change to help create their perfect world. By listening to what they'd like to change, we'll hear more about who they are, what they do and what inspires them. This podcast is brought to you by the team behind Prima Donna, a uniquely anarchic and joyous festival of everything creative. My name is Shona Abianka and I'm a book publicist working with some of the most thought-provoking authors writing today. I'm Catherine Riley, a writer and director of the festival. We're delighted to be your guides on this podcast adventure. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. Pop icons Pepsi and Shirley met outside a London tube station in 1985 when Pepsi, then called Helen, auditioned to join Shirley, Andrew Ridgely and George Michael as backing singer in Wham. In 1987, they released their debut solo single, Heartache, which reached number two in the charts and was followed by two studio albums. It was only kept off the top spot by their close friend George, whose duet with Aretha Franklin was at number one. They went their separate ways in the early 90s before working together again, singing backing vocals for Jerry Halliwell in 2000, following this up with a reunion tour in 2011 and various live performances in the years since. In 2017, they paid tribute to George Michael alongside Andrew at the Brit Awards following his shocking death on Christmas Day 2016. Most recently, they've penned their joint autobiography, It's All in Black and White, Wham! Life and Friendship, which was published by Welbeck in September this year. It's a gloriously nostalgic trip down memory lane filled with amazing photographs. Pepsi and Shirley, welcome to the Prima Donna podcast. Hey! Hello! It's lovely to be here. It's great to have you. So just to put this in context, I'm just going to talk about geography a little for a minute because I'm very excited. I was very excited to learn in your book that you met at Finsbury Park Tube Station, which is hundred yards from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> um, and so, Pepsi, do you want to tell us where you are in the world right now? I am in St. Lucia um, on a very sunny day and it's glorious and I'm sending you loads and loads and loads and loads of sunshine. <laughs> Thank you. It hasn't got here quite yet. <laughs> just wait, just wait, it's coming. <laughs> and sure, Shirley, where are you? I'm in Hertfordshire, but it wasn't too bad. It was a bit sunny today for like two, five, you know, five minutes. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy because I've just moved house, so I am constantly busy at the moment. If I'm not painting, I'm clearing, I'm flattening cardboard boxes. So, yes, I'm kind of a bit all over the place. Your nesting. rolled up. I'm nesting, nesting yeah. that's right. Very important. Um, so should we talk about your book? Um, we want to know all about it. Can you talk us through, first of all, the, the writing of it? Why now? Was it hard to do? Um, and what do you want people to take away from it? Uh, is that to Pepsi? Is that to me? Or to both you can, both? You can... To me, Pepsi. Okay. Um, oh, what inspired? Well, I've been writing a novel which is based around my my, my parents leaving St. Lucia, they're sort of like the inspiration. And it came about 
when um, the whole Windrush thing bubbled up. Um, and um, I had their passports and I was looking at their passports. I started to pull out pictures. I was kind of a bit angry. Um, so I started to write and I was sharing with Shirley what I was writing. And she was actually inspiring me because she would say, so when did that happen? And why did they come? And what was the village? What did, what did they leave behind? And all that good stuff. So she was really inspiring my work. Mm. And um, through that, you know, I was pulling out pictures. And then I started to delve into our pictures. And it was like, Shell, have you seen this? And she goes, oh, my goodness. I've never seen that picture. And then Shirley and Martin had just penned their own book and um, had made some connections with, with Ida, who, who, works at, um, who works at Welbeck. And um, we were sort of sharing a few things with her. And she inspired us, you know, why don't you write a book? And, um, yeah, that's how kind of the inspiration came. But in the real core of it were pictures, were images that kind of inspired us to look at our life. And we felt that we were at a point in our lives where we'd done so much and we were coming into a, a, a new phase, as it were, and we felt it was about time we wrote a book. But it, it had to be a book that was based on not necessarily about Wham, but more about us, about our friendship and the fact that we came from London, but different parts of London. Um, our parents were very similar, but not. And um, we just felt a lot of our story would help to inspire other people. Because I actually find it's an inspirational book, you know, two ordinary girls who had this extraordinary, well, having this extraordinary life because we are still alive and kicking <laughs> and living. <laughs> Very <laughs> I much. Must so. remember that. So, yeah. well, have I said the right thing? Have I inspired? Yes. You well, to all I was all I was going to add, if I if I can, is the fact that Peps and I have always loved having really long chats on WhatsApp, FaceTime, and I think lockdown we may most probably had more more chats because. We're just reflecting. I mean, we're always reflecting about our lives, who we were, how we're developing. We've always had this thought that we need to develop and and be aware and conscious of your subconscious. So when we wrote the book, we were really insistent that we kind of spoke about very emotional side of our life more than, oh, we went to a glitzy part party we met so and so it was really about what drives how do you cope mentally being in that situation how do you not lose it and Pepsi and I were both very grounded and kept each other grounded because we're very honest with each other and to me when I read a biography I really like to to know the workings of the person's mind so um, hopefully you know when we, when we were writing we kind of got to some of that yeah that, what what the, the early stories I really really like some of the early anecdotes like like you talk it's really evocative of that thing about youth when you like the DIY thing so you talk about when you were starting out you know learning dance routines with with George and Andrew and one of your friends worked in a in a swimming pool so you'd go for a swim when they were working there one worked in the cinema so you'd go and see a film you know that kind of brilliant yeah. Uh, energy that young people have and it was it's not a book about you know it's not name droppy at all it's not mm. that kind of book um that's what that's yeah. what makes it 
really enjoyable. But I think that's one of the things about the book that is actually appealing to your fans, even, you know, during the heyday of Wham! and when you went solo, your fans were really very down to earth and they loved the fact that you two were very down to earth. And they saw you as girls made good, you know, that you got to where you were, but you still managed to retain this this kind of persona of being very approachable and friendly and not up your own asses at all. <laughs> so I think the book really reflects that, you know, the fact that you did go to parties and hang out with celebrities, but most of the time you were chatting in the room and gossiping over a cup of tea and, you know, you both stayed very grounded and close to your families. So when you were writing it, did you find that you were really happy to bring that out and make it much clearer that that's how you were? Um. Yeah, for me, me, Pepsi, um, it was the only requirement and I was determined not to make it a celebrity kiss and tell book because we've really got nothing to tell in that area. I think everything's been told what needs to be told. Um, And we wanted to really share our family life because, again, we know a lot of people who have gone through what we've gone through, especially with my dad and his drinking and, um, you know, the fact that, you know, we grew up with with not very much. There was a lot of love, but there, there wasn't very much as far as abundance in money or beautiful homes or anything like that. We were ordinary girls. I was an ordinary girl. But underlying all of that, despite where we were in our lives, we had a real dream. And like in the book, there is a reoccurring dream that I have that kept me, um, how can I say, it kept me in in a wonder. Because wherever I was, and if I was having a really awful time, I was always like, this cannot be it. This surely can't be it, you know the screaming, my mother screaming at my dad, you know, me trying to sort of, you know, get on at school. And I, was, I wasn't very clever or very bright, but I had this imagination and it wasn't tapped into. And most of the time I was like really bored and like really kind of left to my own devices. So I created a bit of a dream world that had an energy of like, this cannot be it. There must be more to life than this, mm. you know. So all through my life, I've always had that that feeling of, especially if I'm going through any form of ad- adversity, it's like, surely this can't be it. You know, there's got to be more to life than this. So, you know, I hope that comes out in the book and people realise that where they are now, there is an incredible potential to move into a better place than where you are at that present moment. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And you wouldn't you wouldn't have got the job as it were if you hadn't have walked out of a different job, is that right? Well, I still had the job. I mean, I was willing to do anything to live my dream. Do you know what I mean? It was like, see ya, I'm gonna go <laughs> travel the world. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, you know, I, I would do anything. I was doing any kind of work that came my way, but the thing that kept me buoyant and happy was the fact that I was sort of singing in local bands and people were starting to get to know me as a singer. How I was gonna do it, I don't know. So you know, receiving that that phone call, that 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 moment of transformation right there was like a dream come true. And in the book, I do mention I don't actually know who recommended me. So mm. thank you, whoever you are out there. Thank you very much. <laughs> and Shirley, was it the us. same for you? Because 
you were kind of having fun with George, you know, and Andrew, your school friends, and like mucking around in at home in their bedrooms and singing and dancing. But did it was that always a dream to be on the stage for you? My dream <clears throat> when I was younger was to be a ballet dancer <clears throat> because I I used to literally walk around on my toes, tiptoes. I could, and I was um, uh, what's what what's uh, not double jointed. I was, what's the word called? Hypermobile. <clears throat> so as a young girl, I just love acrobats. I wanted to be a gymnast. I wanted to be a ballet dancer. But my mum, very much like Pepsi, I mean, this is where we are so similar. I was brought up in a big family, kind of not given any attention. So I had to keep uh, create this dream world. And then obviously when Top of the Pops came on and I watched Pan's People, I would literally stand in front of the TV copying everything they did, like everything Pan's people did. I'd run up and get my mum's chiffon scarves, tie them round to my arms, and and everyone would go, sit down, get out of the way of the telly. <laughs> but I'd literally gone off into a dream world. And I do believe that to manifest things in life, you really do have to have it that strongly, that you 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 sense that you're already there. And... So, but did was I ever ambitious to think, oh, I'm going to be a dancer or a singer? No, never. I was actually working with horses. I was teaching disabled children to ride because I wanted to become a qualified riding instructor. <clears throat> I got hay fever and it brought on asthma. And at that time, I was hanging out with George and Andrew and they were getting this band together. And they realized after they recorded some songs that how, we, how can two of us just go and do a performance so they said surely you know we we were going out clubbing and dancing and making up these routines long before wham and uh they said well why don't you come and dance with us would you do a pa and i'm going yeah, of course i would but what is a pa <laughs> and they were like oh we just stand up and mime and i'm like why why would you even do that because i was a punk girl i'd watch go and go and watch live bands play and real musicians and I thought, this is never going to work. This is crazy. Like, who wants to see these people standing up there dancing and miming? <laughs> First PA we did, oh, my goodness, brought the house down. People were applauding. We were asked to go back. It was always a big mystery in the beginning to me that people liked it. So, um, so yeah, all of a sudden, then we go on top of the pops, and I realized, oh, my God, that little girl who used to stand in front and watch Pan's people – of the TV is now on the girl on the television. Still on with the, the chiffon. So, yes, I, I forgot the chiffon scarves at that point. <laughs> now, do you know what, Joe? I actually think this is the first time I have heard. I always knew that you were fascinated by the Pans people because Shirley yeah. always used to have this sort of play acting thing that she used go, to go. do. And I used to sort of get myself all involved, you know. But it's incredible, you know, like, like growing up watching Top of the Pops. It was very rarely that I, I saw someone who looked like me, you know. Mm. So I, had, I didn't actually, I was never really inspired in, in, in the same way. But, but then I, I heard Aretha Franklin and there was mm. like Millie Small, my boy Lollipop, this might be before your time, you know. So I had very few kind of inspired images to kind of go by. But meeting Shirley... And, and we used to sort of mess around and keep ourselves amused. There were things that she said, okay, let's pretend to be 
pans people and now it all makes sense <laughs> and you were thinking who's pans people no i knew who pans people what were, is she talking about we were, we were all obsessed with bloody hell, she wants me to put bloody scarves on again do you know what i mean it's like what, what is it now it all makes sense shell all makes sense well i'm glad we got there for you um yeah speaking of chiffon uh, I want to talk, there's a lot of amazing fashion, both in what you write and in the photographs that are included in the book. Is it true that you, or can you talk us through your invention of the puffball skirt? Well, I always loved fashion, something I was so, you know, the great thing about the 80s was the music and fashion and the 70s and the 60s. I mean, 50s, yeah. I mean, you can keep going back in time. Fashion and music were Sorry about the, yeah, the dog barking. <laughs> Fashion and music were, you know, part of the same tribe. You would tell what music people like by what they're wearing. Mm. So after Wham, we, we can't, it was all a bit tongue-in-cheek what we wore in Wham. It was never serious. Um, it was, I always had this comedy. Seriously. I it <laughs> I mean, you look at those clothes we wore. They were like, to me, it was always tongue-in-cheek. There was so a lot when of it, fun. They were so fun. Yeah, they were fun. Um and so when it came to Pepsi and I'm like, Pepsi, we've got to get an image. And so we worked with this, we got this lady in who is a stylist called Suzanne Rose. And she was just perfect for us because we wanted this boyish image, but we got the Emmanuels. We walked, she got us, um, you know, David and Elizabeth Emmanuel dresses. Mm-hmm. We paired them with Dr. Martins. Um, there was a kind of influence from Vivian Westwood with the, with the, um, uh, what are they called? The bodice, the bodices, yeah. yeah. Um, and it just kind of evolved. Yeah, I guess what's beautiful about it though is that girls could copy you, like I did at that time, and then you could go out dancing, and you wouldn't have to wear heels or look really girly. Oh, or, you know, you Shona. could still look really stylish and yeah, dance all the, the, boots. This is the thing, Shona. For me, I was such a tomboy. It was like, look, I yeah. really can't do the heels. And pretend and my mum wouldn't have let me do it anyway. No, so I, was I was allowed like, to do that. I'm not doing well, that. Well, we had the baseball boots, didn't we? With yeah. long socks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our first single cover, we're like, we've got these Emmanuel ball gowns on this sofa and we were determined to get our boots in. And there's like, if you, if you look, you, we've lifted our legs up and you could see like this silver black boot biker kind of boots. thing. Happening. They were biker boots. Yeah. But the thing Harley for us, Davidson. Yeah, yeah, of course. And w- the thing for us, we would say things and just wait for people's reactions. And it was like, okay, they've got it. You know what I mean? They're, they're not saying no, so they've got mm. it. So having Suzanne, it was like, for her, it was a dream job. What? Puffballs with, what, Victorian jackets and, and, <laughs> and petticoats and boots? It was like, yes. And it was yeah. like, wow, she gets us. And we had uh, antique Victorian uh, bloomers, cotton bloomers yeah. with... I mean, it was just, I just loved that eclectic mix of clothes. Yeah. That was a big part of, of the, I mean, I really loved the fashion side. And Shirley you- was very, very good at persuading me to wear things that I just would not wear. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. but Peps, you look fantastic. You look amazing. Come on, look, show yourself. And I was like, look, all I want to do is sing. No, Peps. We've got to get our image. No, no, I can't wear that. We've talked about this before, but Shirley is an Aries, very much an Aries. (laughs) Persuasive leader. I let let her do her thing. It's all in good, good, good humour, and it's all about you know just 
just being creative and all of that. So I am, you know, I, I regard myself as an artist, but I was never one for wearing outrageous stuff. You know what I mean? I, I would sort of just be as normal as I could physically, but I would be enticed by certain music and art and things like that. So, but Shirley was a, the all rounder, you know, she'd wear it, make it, live it. <laughs> <laughs> and make you do it and make me yeah. do it <laughs> Pets, you've got to do it with me because I needed a partner in crime oh I was the perfect partner for Shirley bloody hell I was such the perfect partner sure <laughs> all right then close my eyes go for it and I'd open my eyes oh that actually looks quite nice see told yeah. you there you go well, well Shirley's <laughs> quote Pepsi from the campaign I'm not bossy I just have a lot of ideas there I you go perfect <laughs> I must remember that that's that is a good perfect line. description of Very good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the final chapter of the book lists your rules for friendship, one of which you've just touched on. Um, but was there ever a time when you fell out? Is there like, is there anything you want to get off your chest now? Ooh, in, in no, this no. Come on. Or what are your tips? We're both maintain? fire signs. So listen, okay. if we're going to say it, we say it immediately. It's like oh, really? it just it's out. bursts out. And. <laughs> and that's our relationship and that's why um, it, it makes you so comfortable you know mm. it's like family Pepsi's like yeah. how I could row with my sister and then mm. we know oh look we're sisters nothing yeah. I always feel the there same there was a moment Pepsi. recently there was a moment recently oh, <laughs> yes. oh hang on there oh, oh, it goes you know I'm good anyway um, in fact Shona you were there it was oh like we God. were doing this morning and Shirley was just like so exhausted and she's given her all she's been packing miserable I just miserable trying to get in the house thing done and she appears yeah. and she she wants to have this big smile on her face but I can see she's really really tired so she rocks up to the um the studio the tv studio I'm in the dressing room and she just arrives she doesn't say hello she doesn't say, <laughs> hi, I've travelled miles to be there. You know what I mean? Not even like, are you all right, Pep? Nothing. And I thought, right. You know? And then she, she, she sort of disappeared into the bathroom. And I said, I'm like, so is that it? Is that it? Is that how we're going to start today? Is that? And she's like, sorry, Pep, I'm so tired. Okay, good. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, she said. And that's how we work things out. Well, that's right. And I like that. That's the type I that's the type of fam so the thing is, Pepsi and I grew up in a big family where big families are, are quite confrontational with each other, especially when you've got boys and girls. So what I remember when I met my husband, he was really shocked at how forthright I was and honest I was. He'd be like, What? What did you say? But because I'd grown up and you had to defend yourself against brother. I mean, my brothers would wrestle me, throw me across the room. I was ready to kick punch. And so I was always on the defense. So when I met Peps, we were just so similar with like snapping back at each other that in the end you start laughing. It turns yeah. in, it makes you, makes it funny. It's I'm like, sure oh, that's Shirley, matey, reason. don't you dare. Don't you even yeah. try it with me, love. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really think that's part of the reason you're still friends because so many friendships break because things fester. 
yeah and, and they go let silent grow and grow inside them but I really think it's really important that people do are very honest immediately with each other I mean me and Catherine I was just going to say I feel like there's something Always. coming here <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready for it there we go another little bossy little Aries right there look <laughs> when's your birthday Catherine January I'm an Aquarian oh, right. I don't know what that means I think it means I'm in trouble um okay <laughs> should we move on to should we move on to your three things um, we, we will no doubt talk more about the book as we go along. Um, so, so it was really sweet that both you, you, we, we asked you for your, your three ideas for changing the world. Um, and both of you came up with really similar kind of ideas, which mm. is a measure of the similarities that kind of run through the book and, you know, the friendship that's so obvious in talking with you. Um, so we've, we've paired them up um, uh, and we're going to take them kind of thematically because they're, they're, they're similar. So Shona, you're going to, you're going to take the first um Yes. a couple of questions which are about I was, school yeah I was intrigued that you know you're you're very similar and school had a big influence on both of you for different reasons so Pepsi can you talk us through your first one that was kind of around your school days for me uh that I mean with 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 school I had no inspiration to be in the actual classroom I was constantly looking out as to where I could be other than where I, where I was. And um, over the years, I've come to really appreciate more and more like being out in nature and how I'm really connecting with nature in a way that I'm sort of seeing and appreciating. And it's teaching me a lot about myself. And um, through that, I've actually started to get into cultivating I love putting a seed in the soil and watching it grow and what it does is it it, it it keeps me curious and excited about life and 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 the beauty of it and the fact that you can grow your own food you know yeah. and the way that the world is now I believe that all schools should have a garden that kids can go out and cultivate mm. and also inspire them to take you know, go home and start learning about growing their own food. And the thing is, if you're a child that's bored and you see the wonders of watching a, a, a little seed sort of develop into a sunflower, I think it's quite extraordinary. I think it conjures up respect for the earth. It conjures up mm. the wonders of the earth. It conjures up, you know, the fact that food doesn't come from Sainsbury's. Yeah. It's not made in <laughs> Sainsbury's. It's like a farmer actually has yeah. actually cultivated the soil, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, like with, with COP20, whatever it is at the moment, you know, and about the planet and everything, I actually do think from an early age, kids should learn to be out in the open, learn about nature a lot more, mm. be activists like for nature yeah. and learn to grow, learn to grow mm. and understand where a carrot comes from, learn to grow and see what because I think it creates mm. a, a real appreciation yeah. for nature on and really on many and it yeah. hits so many profound aspects aspects of life. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly. Perfectly and, you makes know, sense. And I think, Couldn't you know, more. when I think about me in a classroom and like six, seven years old thinking I want to be outside, can you imagine a teacher saying, look, right now, let's all go out and let's plant some seeds and mm. watch them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And let's yeah, learn yeah. how to look after it. And watch. I, I wouldn't want to be in the classroom. I'd learn everything from 
being yeah. able to cultivate and learning about the planet and the earth and well they could have greenhouses couldn't they in schools yeah, as well exactly mm. i really do think that is something that should be paramount one of the things that should be paramount in schools is yeah. really connecting to connection nature through yeah. Yeah. agriculture yeah we gave them um, there's uh, two really cute girls that live next door to us and we gave them sunflower seeds in a in a pot in lockdown when everybody was growing stuff and trying not to lose their minds and she saw that our sunflowers grew and hers didn't she was oh, no. absolutely she's three she was absolutely <laughs> livid she came around and was like it's broken <laughs> we oh, had to no. i know so we, you know i'm i hey, fully endorse her seeds. idea and i'm 100 behind it but there are there, <laughs> i know we, we were terrified really? like god please oh. let this one grow anyway that was funny. <laughs> she's very cute um Shirley, what was your um, idea around schools? Well, I had a very hard time at school. Um, I remember just the first time I went into the classroom, the smell. The, after kind of being nurtured by my mum, even though I was in a big family, I had this comfort. And so to kind of be separated from my mum, I found very traumatic. And then to sit on these cold, hard plastic seats and to pay attention to this person who was talking about things that were beyond me because my learning ability is different, was different from others. Mm. I'm a visual learner. I can get bored very quickly, like perhaps I can stare out the window and then you're lost. And then, then you're criticized. Well, what are you doing? What, what, why are you not doing that properly? And I remember spelling tests with just big mm. red lines over it. And the more I knew I was doing things wrong, my confidence was, was horrendous. I would cry every day not to go to school, but no one understood, just thought, oh, she must be naughty. She's, right. why, don't, why don't you want to go to school? So for me, I believe that the system is totally wrong. And I was quite, quite um, interested to see how a lot of kids got on learning in lockdown because I thought that mm. would have suited me perfectly to have been at home learning having my lesson but in my own kind of in that comfort zone of my own home not feeling like I'm in a classroom where they're all going to point a finger at me and say you've got it wrong or the teacher's going to shout at me so I became very ill I got meningitis and I hadn't been at school long because um a teacher shook me so badly I was so sick I was physically attacked and I was a small child um so I remember that happening so my fear factor of school was horrendous until the day I left until you know I I don't think I even took any GCSEs so for me that was Mm. that you carry that your whole life Mm. it flares up in situations when I feel stupid or if if I lose my confidence and I know what it goes back to it goes Mm. back to those being that little girl Mm. I think the schooling system needs to be more bespoke and I, and I think everyone has something they're good at. And if we can just, you know, I really like the Montessori style school. I went to look at that for my children and it didn't, I knew it didn't suit them when I got there. But I remember thinking, if only I was put through the Montessori system where they look at the individual and encourage what you're good at. So, because we're all good at something. So for me, school definitely ruined my life in the sense that I was very traumatized, mm. very, very traumatized. I never, 
ever thought my kids had to go to university as well. And I think the pressure that parents have on them to put their kids in university, um, I just, I, I thought my I knew my my kids weren't kind of real academics. They weren't going to be doctors and lawyers, so it would never cross my mind to put them in university. They never went, and but they've done brilliantly. So did they I enjoy school? Think, surely, um, Roman enjoyed it more than Harley. Harley went to school because she had to, <laughs> mm. but. Um, she always had a strong kind of idea of who she was and what she, but no, she, I mean, but the only thing that I was very worried about as a parent is that they didn't go through my trauma, mm. that school wasn't somewhere they cried every, you know, like, don't, I don't want to go there. So they did go to private schools. Um, but yeah, Roman to this day says this, I love the schools that I went to. Mm, and Harley yeah. actually ended up going back to the school that she went to to be a teacher for a while because so um, nice. they needed a photography teacher. Yeah. So she, she, she was like, I can't believe I'm back in school being the teacher now. So you never know how things work yeah, out. I was wondering about whether you were more sensitive to sending your kids there somewhere where you obviously suffered a lot of trauma. It must have been difficult. Yes. Yeah, it was. And I was really worried about putting my fear onto them mm. about school. I mean, I was a bit lapsed. Sometimes Roman's homework was, I mean, Roe was a bright boy, but his homework was overwhelming. And mm. I would just say to the teachers, he couldn't do it. He was too tired. You can't expect him to come come home and do all that amount of homework. Yeah. And yeah, I always he always had letters to tell the teacher. I always had some excuse that he couldn't do something. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they just put too much pressure on him. And I just thought, no, I'm not having that. It's, I don't think that's fair. they're both doing brilliantly now and doing what they love to do. You know what it is? Because it's more about your work ethic. It's about mm. your ambition. It's about, you know, how how much you want to get out there and strive for it. And that's what I found more important to put into your children. Yeah, mm. I agree. Can we move on to your second way that you would change the world? My second thing about changing the world, um, one thing that really, really causes me a lot of pain is animal abuse. Even the other day, I saw something with cows, what they were doing to them. It's barbaric. I mean, it's barbaric what we do to farmed animals. Mm. And I mean, worldwide, I'm not just saying England. And I remember years ago, in the early 80s, I read this book, Why Not Eat Meat? And I thought, why not eat meat? Did it mean you should eat meat or why not? I, I was, so it was actually written by a farmer's son. And this book kind of fell on my lap accidentally. I was went somewhere and I, I didn't buy it. it, it I, I, don't, I can't remember how it appeared. Anyway, I read this book. This farmer's son was predicting mad cow's disease. But he didn't call it mad cow's disease. He's, mm. he, it was a warning saying the farming system is out of control. And he said, do not eat meat. And he, I don't even want to kind of go into great detail because it's, it's a bit horrible. But I remember I, st I read this book and I thought, that is it. I, I just cannot eat meat again. And I'd gone through loads of times of being vegetarian. Um, and then about 15 years maybe 20 years later mad cow's disease happened mm. and I remember watching the news and they were burning all these cows and I was like 
wow, that was the message in the book. That's what this guy was saying, the treatment of animals, what we're feeding them, how we're farming them. And so that was a reason why I, I kind of stopped eating meat. I mean, there's so, but obviously Pepsi and I went to China when with Wham mm. and I had seen animal abuse full scale there. Mm. I remember us being in the market I remember seeing it before Shirley saw it. Mm. And you know when your your mind can't actually adjust to what you're seeing you because believe you can't what believe seeing. what you're actually yeah. seeing. And then I looked and I looked again and then there were these like sort of um sort of these meaty lumps, I'll call it, hanging up on a on a stand on this market store. And your mind adjusts and your eyes adjust and you look and you think, "Oh my gosh, they look like dogs." They looked like dogs that had been stripped. And I was like, sure, uh, don't turn around. In fact, should we walk the other way? Why? 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 I want to go. No, you don't want to go that way. You really don't want to go that way. And Missy Bossy Shirley was like, no, I want to go that way. And I thought, all right, then you go ahead kind of thing. And there they were. She was like, her face, like your face is right now. Her face is like, I cannot believe this. She, She just went white. Mm. looking at what and she she was just absolutely disgusted traumatized everything and I remember turning around I said I you know see told you not to mm. go that way but this market was just extraordinary <laughs> because told you <laughs> told you and as we as we're going through you're looking and then these like sort of like their baskets with like jumping frogs and mm. birds and all the thing and you could see that they'll pick up the the, 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 the the frogs and tie them up so all their bellies would expand. And it was, it was horrendous. Really, it was quite extraordinary. And actually, I mean, for a while, I was vegetarian because of that, mm. even before the book, because I remember Shirley sharing the book. I couldn't yeah. even eat vegetables. I yeah. lived off strawberry milkshake <laughs> or something. I, could, I was only on fluids. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't eat. the weirdest, weirdest oh, experience. I, I, I would have gone intravenous <laughs> if I could have. <laughs> you're both huge animal lovers now aren't you you really oh my are. gosh like, I love dogs. oh my goodness me yeah like nature animals are just like the unconditional love you know you nurture you get love yeah and and your recommendation Pepsi was that once a week we should all turn all of the tech off, off. go into nature off, just be off, off. yeah for yeah. the past um month or so I've been turning my phone off on Sundays oh really um yeah I turn it off and if I have to call a family member or so I will make that phone call and turn my phone off and wow. so what's that's happening, a good idea yeah that's I turn it off idea. and I've got my husband doing it as well so on Sundays we turn our phone off we do the gardening we go out mm. we do every, all, all the other stuff and then on Monday you feel really vibrant mm. you're kind of ready mm. to go and then you you kind of look at things in a completely different way and it's only a day even if you That's did really it for like, like that yeah. oh i'm gonna start that well we've been doing it on you've a changed Sunday. the world already Pat. yeah turn it off for instance even if i'm kind of like there and i'm reading a book or whatever i'll pick up my phone and google something that i don't yeah, and i can't exactly. do that on that day so i've got to use my brain for five yeah. minutes yeah you know what i mean and it's like it's really changing my kind of kind of device thing i'm mm. kind of realizing it does affect me more you have an independence from yeah. It. yeah you realize you can do without it and nothing's gonna yeah happen. i mean when you think about i used to remember 
all my friends and family's telephone number. Mm-hmm. I know. Same. I can't yeah. remember. I, I wouldn't know yeah. one. I can't even remember my husband's. Like, yeah. you know. I know. We're all screwed in an emergency, aren't we? Really? <laughs> really? Of, yeah. So every Sunday, I turn my, my phone off. That's brilliant. So if you want to talk to That's me, Cheryl, you've got to talk to me on Saturday now. <laughs> so don't ring I'm very Sunday. glad you didn't do that during the book campaign because <laughs> that would have made me very stressed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm going to say to I did call you back, Pets. <laughs> when? Yeah, right. yeah. 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 Try no, that Your phone one. was turned off. I don't know <laughs> why. Try that one. <laughs> Try that one. <laughs> that links seamlessly into your third thing, Pepsi, which is also, um, it's kind of it's kind of a thing about uh, about interconnectedness and mindfulness do you want to talk us through your your third um movement for change well i i i feel and i've seen it and i've been there and i've felt it that people are losing um the 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 thing of courtesy you know to be courteous to each other you know thank you no thank you Hi, bye, or what, whatever. How are you doing today? Yeah, Shirley. Yeah, Shirley. Yeah, Shirley. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, one thing that I, for instance, again, I was we, you know, I was in the UK and we were doing the sort of um, promotion on the book. There was something that I missed while I was there that I experienced here in St Lucia. So one of the things that happens wherever you go especially in the mornings, if you're in a bank, if you're in, if, if you're in a supermarket, if you're somewhere doing whatever you're doing, if someone comes into the room, they will say good morning to you. Good morning. And you say good morning back. And that's an instant respect. And it's like, it's, it's, mm. it's, like a, a, it's courteous, it's respectful, mm. and then you're on an even keel. And you're acknowledging each other, right? Exactly, nice. and you can yeah. actually talk to each other. And when I was in the UK, I, I kind of missed that. And I noticed mm. also, not only there, here too, you know, people just are very flippant with each other. And it's either, you know, it's just, I like, I don't like, thumbs up, thumbs down, that kind of thing. And, and I think it, it's affecting our mindfulness as well, our consciousness, our way of being, not only with ourselves and with other people. And I just think, those who are the hierarchy in in government are losing their sense of courtesy too to the country community society because a lot of the powers that be are doing things without even saying sorry without explaining mm. themselves mm. without um highlighting the fact that it may have hurt you but i'm really sorry i, I did mm. something wrong here you know, so what's happening, the young are growing up, not having to sort of justify mm. certain situations, things that they do. And it, and it takes away this sort of mindful way of being in the world. And it disconnects us where you're all right, Jack, you're all right, Jack. But the thing is, we are all connected. So when mm. someone says, good morning, everyone says good morning. Mm. And I've experienced it, and it's like it's the most beautiful thing. And it's just two, what well, good morning, two words, mm. you know. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> was it, it, was it something you, um, do, were your parents quite hot on politeness and courtesy? Yeah, Did you, we, my mother used to say you? to me, 
never let an old person pass you without you saying hello and good morning. That's what she used to say to me. But I never understood it there. But she, now I'm in St. Lucia, I get it. I really, yeah. really get it. I mean, my husband, he's not from the Caribbean. He's a Norfolk boy. And when he kind of gets a kick out of it too, and it makes him feel really good. It makes mm. us feel really good. And I just think, you know, it, it crosses the line into communication. So, you know, when someone sends a message, there are some people don't, that don't answer back. Excuse me. And, um, you know, good morning. <laughs> yes. You know, um, and just that thank you. And other, because the thing is that you become, there's a mutual respect for each other. But it has to happen. It has to this, it, and it creates an interconnectedness, mm. you know. But I know yeah. where it's coming Can I from. say though, Peps? I think a big reason for that is because life in the Western world has become so fast and so frantic that it's made people very defensive. I get that. Like we're on a defense I mechanism get that, but because we have got so much to do. I'm not, this is not, I'm not saying this is the excuse. I'm saying kind of, it's what, I mean, today I went to a supermarket and I saw this old lady struggling with two um, shopping with the, the trolleys. And I said, oh, would you like me to, if you're finished with that? She went, no, I haven't. Mm -hmm. One's for my friend. Goodness. And then I said, I was only mm -hmm. trying to help you. And she went, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I was a, what a grouch. Yeah. Because I was only, I was going to try and help her, but she was so on yeah. the defensive about these. And so, but I think that's who we are now. It's how no, we want to live. It's not who you are now. It's not. It's not who you are. That's the point. This is not Yeah, who no, it's not we who are. we are, but it's how a culture is becoming. It's not We are in a culture good. of defence. It's not good. It's not no, it's not good. good. I'm not, I'm not so saying I'm it's good. I'm just analysing it. Four, four, five people here. If four or five people just made an effort to say thank you every so often to somebody, it would resonate through whoever's life that you've mm. said thank you to that day. I'm yeah. sure of it. You know, it's absolutely true. I, I just think don't want to accept it. I don't want to accept it. I, want I think it's defensiveness, but it's also fear. I mean, I'm really sad to say yeah. that if I sit down on the tube and if a man next to me says good morning, I will immediately be like, oh, no, he's a weirdo. Oh, no. Who is he? Why Isn't is he talking that to me? Sad? Which that is, is really so sad. sad. It's it is it's sad. really, yeah. really, really saddening that 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 this is what's becoming because this is where we're we're disconnecting to us as humans. You know, this is the whole disconnect. Very true. So there you go. Shirley, do you want to take us? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just be nice, <laughs> all right? Be bloody nice, will you? <laughs> Shirley, <laughs> do you want to take us through your last um your last movement for well, change? My one, once again, we'll go back to being parenting and schools because I grew up again with all that fear. So the teaching of fear from an early age, because it's fear that that creates, you know, like wars, like that's my land, that's my, the, the biggest wars are over stealing land and thinking that thing, and no one owns this earth. So just trying to talk about why we need things and why if we lost them, what could happen and just the, the, the psychology. I mean, I, I remember watching this program years ago and it's at a certain age when a child will suddenly experience fear and it's the toddler age 
when they want something and they're screaming because someone else has taken it. But it's capturing, right, what is what does that really mean? What is that screaming about? You know, raising children is so fundamentally the future. It's, it's, it's how we're raising them and what psychology they're learning. And fear seems to be the biggest threat to the planet. I mean, these big greedy companies who just want – how much money can you have? How much of something can you have? Teaching people that more isn't better. Um, but more, it comes from fear. More. Well, the thing so, is, Jules, I, mean, I think that um, as far as human beings, a lot of, okay, let's talk about COVID. It was, it's fear, total, absolute fear. It exists, it's here. Um, I've come to the conclusion, like for instance, um, in St. Lucia, we, we've been having curfews and lockdowns and all the rest. I've come to the conclusion we should just open up the, the, the country. Why? Because when I was in England, people were just, it, it was freaky. It was like it was open, things were doing. You know, people are still afraid of it. Obviously, it's under, understandable. But the thing is, common sense has become such, it's, it's, it's like a, a way of being that is becoming really rare, this thing of common sense. So, yeah. you know, if, if there's something out there, you, you, you have to protect yourself. You know, either you get assistance through a vaccine or you don't. And if you don't, there are things you should do. And if you do, there are still things that mm. you should do. But the fear comes from the government trying to persuade you to do yeah. something. And if you don't do it, this is what's actually going to happen to you. But the yeah. thing is, it loses its common sense. It's more about we are telling you to do this which builds up fear. Mm. But we saw that firsthand with the loo roll panic buying I mean, and there was no pasta, there were no eggs, and it was just mad. Know, it was like Shona people were here, really afraid. But Shona, mm. the weird thing here, which was quite extraordinary, we were watching this from this little island in the Caribbean thinking, hold on a second, what people do with all that toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> what do they want with all That's that really toilet paper? <laughs> They just go to the washroom and they wash themselves. They don't need, even need toilet paper. Either I buy rice or toilet paper. I buy rice. It's yeah. like, it's, like, it's, it's the most, yeah. it's like, I'm, I was watching. It's comical. It's, it's, it's absolutely it was the most comical. extraordinary thing to watch. And it's like the fear of not yeah. having toilet paper. And if you yeah. really think about it, do you know what? You can actually live without toilet paper. That's true. Um, but, you know, the other, the other fear was... I'm going to think about anyway, I'm going to take it away from that conversation. <laughs> so, Shirley, yeah, so I think the fear thing is really interesting. What I'm really curious about is, Shirley, you did suffer quite a lot of fear when you were a child, but your ability to get up on stage for both of you and sing and dance in front of strangers and... It's really, you know, incredible. And that's where, for me, I would have the fear then. So how did you find this courage to do it? Because who's going to hurt you when you're on stage doing that? 
what where is the fear what can happen mm. to you what can hurt you and you were with your friends no you no no one can shake you yeah. like i've been shaken as a child so for me that's why i would call freedom mm. what i can just get up here with pepsi my partner in crime pretend we're pans people <laughs> <laughs> like am i really that lucky to me yeah. whereas fear would be to me like if i got asked to go and do a speech somewhere maybe mm. Because what if I got tongue-tied? What if I forgot what I was saying? That would feel fearful to stand up in a room and and do a lecture or a speech. Mm. But to get up and sing a song that you know, you know that people love music. Mm. You know that people, you know, like if you're wearing great clothes and you're – I just know that that if I know that I like to watch that, then why wouldn't I want to be doing that? So the fear kind of, there is no fear there. I mean, show makes it sound really easy because I know that there's a lot of people that have real stage fright. But for us, it's like, hey, let's go then. Whoop, whoop, here we go kind of thing. We want to entertain. I mean, mm. for me, the, when, I, when I discovered the thing of, of the stage was when I was at primary school. It was like we were doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and I was sneezy and I was the last one and I did this, flick of my leg and everyone laughed and I thought I want that I really want to do that again you know what I mean how wow I entered I made them laugh I made that kind of entertain you didn't put that in the book did you I I was just thinking that that's a great story that's a good sneezy story yeah I didn't put that in the book for the paperback (laughs) yeah thank you um so it, it it that moment for me was a moment of oh there's, there's a reaction. There's something I can do. There's something that I can do to get a reaction and make other people, other people happy. But the thing is, I will say about Shirley, Shirley's a very interesting performer. Here we go. Here we Here go. We go. <laughs> Before she gets on stage, very calm, like really kind of, so Shirley, you know that, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's it. And she gives like, I would say, 65% you know, and it's taken me years to understand that. So she'll get the song, she'll understand it, she'll sing it in a way that she's learning and we can kind of do our little rehearsals and everything. This is rehearsal, kind of thing. So she kind of gives that 65%. So if you were to see this, you think, oh, I don't know. I mean, really, (laughs) is she going to get on there and kind of do it? Because I'll be... uh, It's all right. Is she going to do it? I don't know. I have no idea. She's going to... Oh my gosh, you can never do anything. But then what happens is she hits the stage. I'm here. And there'd be moments where I would look and I think, look at that. Look at this thing. Look at this person on stage doing her thing. So for both of us, being on stage is an, an opportunity just to. Like Shirley says, this freedom, like you've been restricted mm. in rehearsals. I love rehearsing, but, you know, now we're doing mm. it. You know what I mean? Reserving the energy. Exactly. And then Reserving oh, the energy and acting yes, the part. Exactly. Mm. And then seeing a crowd react, they're there for you. Mm. And it's like you've yeah. given a you, – I, I tend to sort of give my ego, but at the same time you've got to kind of put it away where you just want to entertain and mm. just give – you know, you just got to be pans, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect way to end this podcast. Everybody, be more pans, be more people. Pans, people. Yeah. And don't use Lee roll. 
There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need glue roll. Think about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, both of you, thank for coming you. on Primadonna podcast today. It's been us. an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's very enjoyable. Good. Good. The world as it should be from Primadonna. as it should be from Prima Donna.